Very pleasant good evening to everyone. I consider it a high honor to again be a part of your summer series. I have fond memories of being with you last year. Now, if you remember, now if you don't remember, it's okay, but last year I was the last speaker. This year, of course, as you are aware, I am the first speaker. When David contacted me and gave me some choices of when I could come, and he mentioned the first week, I said, that's it. That's it. Now, I think it's good as Christians that we can laugh, that we can enjoy one another's company. There's a time to be serious, and there's a time not to be serious. The reason I wanted, and I told a few people this, nobody here, the reason I wanted to be the first speaker, now I don't have an ego, however, the reason I wanted to be the first speaker is at least for one week I'm going to be the best speaker on this program. And then the speaker next week, uh, he'll take over that slot. And on and on, I looked over the list of speakers and several of these men, I know either by reputation or I know personally. And so it's a great series that you have. I know that it will be beneficial to your lives individually and also as a congregation of the Lord's body. I commend you for the good work that you're doing. The Lord's Church is in need of strong and solid and sound congregations in every community. And you are to be commended for all that you do in the Lord's service. To be sure, we know that as we serve the Lord, that our labor will not be in vain. I encourage you to keep on keeping on. All of us together, doing our own part, doing those things in keeping with our talents and abilities, as we strive to the very best of our ability, God will bless our efforts. The subject that has been assigned to me is strong members of one body. For the next several moments, we're going to be thinking about this theme, strong members of one body. Beloved, may God help us that as the Lord's people, that we will never lose our passion for the Lord's work. Each generation is faced with challenges. But yet at the same time, while we are faced with challenges, I believe that we need to keep before us that we are faced with opportunities. There are things that we're able to do today in the Lord's service that even 25 years ago would have, could not have been imagined. I'm a part of the Gospel Radio Network. Brother Bill Burke and I share a program, 
And uh, in our own offices, we record these programs and they're played over the network. This is an online radio station. And these sermons that we preach from our offices are heard in many, many countries around the world. That's amazing. I have made some videos that, have, that I have put on Facebook, just simple videos of two or three minutes in length, and over 1,000 people have viewed these videos from all around the world. Just think if someone had told you 25 or 30 years ago that we would be able to do these kinds of things from our own homes, from our own offices. We, we would have probably just sh have shaken our heads and, and thought, well, that will never happen. And as we think about the future, as we think about 25 to 30 years down the road, if the Lord tarries, more and more opportunities we will have to spread the word of the Lord. And so as we strive to do all that we can to build up the Lord's work, I suggest that we need to keep before us the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. We recognize that as we look at our world today, there are many things that discourage us. There are many examples of wickedness and evil and immorality. There are those who advance positions on various issues that are contrary to the word of God. There are those who are leading our young people, for example, away from believing in the one true and living God. These things discourage us. Again, Paul said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He doesn't say, fold your hands, have a negative attitude, and cry, woe is me. Redeeming the time. Literally, that means buying back every opportunity. Making the most of your time. Making the most of the opportunities that are presented to you. As you and I are involved in the Lord's work, I hope that we will never forget that we are involved in the greatest work in the world. A work that is more significant than any large corporation. We're involved in the work of God. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, as per Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. He, we are serving him. We're striving to give glory unto him. 
Our work is important. Our work is the most important in the world because it involves the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Just here I think of the words of Jesus. In Mark chapter 8 verse 36, he said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I believe it was the late and lamented Brother Wendell Winkler who made the statement that our soul is our most precious and priceless possession. The date was April 6th of this year. On that afternoon, I was driving through Groveton, Texas, in East Texas, near Lufkin. The reason that I was going to Groveton is because of a hobby that I, I have. I make photographs of courthouses throughout Texas. At this point in time, I'm at number 56. Lord willing, by this time tomorrow, I will have two more courthouses photographed. And I look at other historical things in these towns I visit. I came into Groveton that afternoon. When I was driving into this town, I could immediately tell that this town was not what it had been in years past. I began to see buildings that were abandoned. After making several photographs of the courthouse, I walked down the main street, and it was apparent that in years gone by that this had been a bustling area. For example, I saw the building of a former bank, and it must have been many years since a bank had occupied that building. And there was evidence of several buildings where years before there had been many businesses. But as I looked at the downtown area, I saw just one business. And as I looked at that one business, I could not help but wonder how long will it be before it closes. More than likely, in earlier times when people would go to town, when the custom was to go to town on Saturday, that downtown area in Groveton would be bustling with people. There would be many vehicles and people gathered there in the downtown area. But those days were past. Those days were only a memory. As I walked down Main Street after parking my car, there was only one other vehicle. And inside that vehicle was a young man. And as I walked down the street, he parked his truck. He went inside the one business that was open. And in just a moment or two, he returned to his truck and then left. I continued my journey to Lufkin, 
And I couldn't stop thinking about Groveton. And the question that came to my mind again and again, what had happened in Groveton? I began to wonder, did it happen slowly? Or was there some kind of a rapid change that came to that community? I wish I had had the time that Friday afternoon that I could have interviewed some people who had been longtime residents of Groveton. And by talking with them, I would have been able to learn the history of this small town. But much sadder than what has happened to that small East Texas town is what happens sometimes to a congregation of the Lord's Church. As I said a moment ago, there are great possibilities. There are great resources. We have many opportunities before us. But then something happens, and it's not good. And where there had once been a spirit of optimism and joy is replaced by the spirit of defeatism and negativity. I wonder what if the people of Groveton in former years had considered what could happen to their community. Would they have made some changes? Would there have been people who decided we're not going to let our community shrivel up and die? We're not going to let our community only be a shadow of its past existence. Would there have been members of that community who began to realize that some changes needed to be made in order to keep progressing and making their small town an even better place? Would some of the members of that small town use their talents and abilities to help their community? Or would they have been satisfied to just let things roll along? And sometimes the only significant activity would have been people who complained or were even negative about anything positive that was attempted. Our purpose this evening is not to discuss that small town in Trinity County. But I want us to think about our work as a congregation, as a family of the Lord's people. In Psalm chapter 85, verse 6, we find the following heartfelt petition. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Oftentimes when a psalm is referred to, mention will be made of the psalmist David. And it is true that 
David penned by inspiration many of the Psalms, but he did not write all of them. And Psalm chapter 85 is one of those Psalms that David did not write. It came from the sons of Korah. We're not completely sure of the exact context of this psalm, but I personally believe the following comments from Alexander McLaren to be worthy of careful consideration. The book of Nehemiah supplies precisely such a background as fits the psalm. But more important is the principle emphasized in this psalm. It's one that should be a potent reminder for us today. For you see, sometimes as the people of God, we find ourselves without the proper focus. In the verses leading up to verse 6 in Psalm 85, we learn that the iniquity that once hindered their relationship with God had been taken away. But back to verse 6. Please ponder with me for a moment this simple and wonderful prayer for revival. And one thing that immediately comes to mind upon reflecting on this petition is that they recognized their need for God. They recognized that they could not succeed without Him. But more than realizing their need for God, this was a pleading. Yea, verily it was a begging for God to bless them. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? This evening as we're gathered here, I want to place before you a very important question. As I was preparing these remarks a few months ago, it's a question that I thought about for my own life. What is your spiritual pulse? Now let's think about this question from a personal standpoint. What is your individual spiritual pulse? What is my personal spiritual pulse? Maybe what the sons of Korah felt in the long ago is what we're feeling this evening or what we should be feeling this evening. Has our individual dedication to the Lord and His church slipped? Have we individually allowed our focus on the Lord to be distracted? Have we allowed our feelings, the faults of others, or selfishness to hold us back in responding to what the Lord desires of us. In the New Testament, 
two times in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Holy Spirit uses a three-word description to set forth what should be our goal as Christians. And when you and I learn, when we embrace, when we apply these words, I believe with all of my heart that there is no limit to how much or how quickly you can grow in your personal faith and service. Instead of thinking, do I have to? We will naturally think and ask, what will be my privilege to do? As then, minimum service will be replaced by maximum service. Instead of being tempted to complain or grumble, we will lovingly consecrate ourselves to glorify the Lord in all that we think and say and do in the service of the Lord. And as for our church family, with these three words in tow, and at the heartbeat of all that we strive to do, we will then be on the road to the greatest success possible in the Lord's service. We're going to be talking in our remaining moments about these three words. Just three words. But I suggest to you these are three powerful words. In these three words set a sterling standard that you and I need to have before us. And these three words can be thought of as an anthem for all Christianity. Are you ready to learn and apply these three words? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, verse 1. And there we're going to find these three words. See if you can, from reading this verse, figure out what these three words are. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you recede from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Those are our three words that we're emphasizing this evening. More and more. In verse 10, Paul says regarding their love for one another, for that indeed is what you are doing. Going back to uh, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers 
throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Whenever you're studying a book, especially this is the case in studying the epistles of the New Testament, when you come across a phrase or even a word more than once, especially two or three or four or five times, you need to stop and pay particular attention as that will tell you a great deal about the thrust or the aim of the epistle. So here in verse 10, Paul uses this same phrase that we read in verse 1. More and more. Love one another more and more. This was a good congregation. The church at Thessalonica. It was a strong and spiritual congregation. Thus what Paul is saying to them is not an indictment of what they had been. But it was an encouragement to them to be even better. He wasn't saying that they had accomplished too little in the Lord's service. But he was saying that what they had accomplished was only the beginning of what they could become in Christ. And so he challenged them to increase and improve in their faith in various ways as set forth in chapters 3 and 4 of this epistle. Think about these Christians in the first century. Imagine you're a member of the church at Thessalonica. How could these Christians have responded to these exhortations? They could have balked. They could have balked and said, don't you know that we're already a strong congregation? What more do you want? Or they could have said, we're not struggling. We're a faithful congregation. You need to tell us these things. You need to be telling these things to a congregation that is struggling. To a congregation that's about ready to close their doors. These brethren could have rested on their previous accomplishments and good reputation. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, we learn how these Christians at Thessalonica responded to the urging of the Apostle Paul. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another 
is increasing. And so these Christians had done exactly what Paul had admonished them to do. In light of what we have read and considered this evening, we are then faced with the most important question of all. Let me first of all tell you what the question is not. It's not what. We know what we need to do. We see what these Christians did, and we know it is the right way. But the question is how. How am I going to increase my faith more and more? How am I going to use the time that the Lord has given me to be faithful to him? Which one way our faithfulness to the Lord is demonstrated is by our dedication to the work of the congregation, to our church family. Most of the time when I preach, the sermon will have three points, sometimes four, and maybe once or twice a year it will have five points. But this evening, the sermon has only one point. Just one point, but I believe it's a point that will encourage us one word. In light of what we have been thinking together about in the last 30 minutes, the word on which we're going to now be focusing is urgency. Urgency. Going forward in our lives as Christians, Going forward as a congregation and increasing our strength and vigor begins not tomorrow. It isn't next week or next month or when we work all of our problems out to our satisfaction. It begins now. It must begin now. As you think about your life as a Christian, have you ever wondered what is the greatest and strongest I can be for the Lord when he comes? Now, the answer is not a definite amount, but it is understanding that the best I can be depends on when I start. I want to say that again. The best that I can be depends on when I start. Let's look at some passages that will help us in more clearly seeing this point. Turn with me to a familiar passage, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 beginning in verse 14, the parable of the talents. And this is the second parable 
in this chapter concerning what it will be like when Jesus comes again. And this parable begins with this information. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, in light of what we have just read, why were these first two servants successful and received by the master? Was it related to the amount with which they began? No. That didn't have anything to do with it. Was it because of the amount that they had at the end? And again, the question, the answer is not about that. But it was when and how they responded. Notice with me again what is said in verse 16 regarding the servant who had been given five talents. He who had received the five talents. Have you ever noticed this? It says he went at once. Let me give you a technical translation of that. I don't try to be complicated. He didn't dilly-dally. Are we communicating? He didn't dilly-dally about it. He went at once. And then notice verse 17. What is said regarding the servant who had been given two talents. So also... He who had the two talents made two talents more. Those first two words, so also, is telling us he was just like the one who had been given the five talents. He too went at once. Now, let's go to verses 24 through 28. And here we're going to learn about the reaction of the servant who had been given the one talent. Verse 24, beginning. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. By way of application, we learn the sobering truth about staying the same. Upon reflection, someone could say in response to the condemnation given by the master to this servant, why was he so harsh? After all, this servant, according to what is recorded in the text, he wasn't immoral. He had not gambled the talent away. And also, he was honest. He didn't lie about what he had done. But what the condemnation from the master of the one talent, the one talent servant, is that the master, by way of application to us, the Lord, is expecting you and me to do better. He is expecting you and me to want to do and be more. And those who are sincerely following the Lord know that just keeping what we have is not enough to Him. I believe as we read the Scriptures, we need to read slower. We need to pause and meditate upon what we have read and make application to our lives. And so we've read these verses. I think about my life. And I hope you will think about your life also. What would the Lord say to me? What would the Lord say to you individually? If he told us now his evaluation of how we're using our talents in his service and for his glory. Would the Lord say to you, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he speak words of condemnation? That we were not immoral or we were not dishonest, but that we were just staying the same. That we were not growing and increasing in our service to Him. We could leave here this evening and agree that what we have studied, what we have examined, these are important things. And then we go our merry way while our thinking and our lives have not changed. If that's our reaction, the reality is this lesson 
has not been as profitable as it could have been to our spiritual lives. Therefore, we need to get practical. We need to bring it down to where you and I live day by day. What are some things you and I need to be individually doing better as servants of the Lord, as children of God, as Christians, as people who are serious about following in the footsteps of Jesus? May I suggest that a good place to begin is by making a list, taking a piece of paper and making a list. And let me help you in making that list, if I may. Here's one application. What are you doing individually to help others to learn the truth of the gospel? Do you have a list of non-Christians for whom you are praying that you will have opportunities to help them learn the truth? Are you praying that they will carefully consider becoming a New Testament Christian? Are we regularly inviting people to the services of the church? Are we giving people literature, invitations, printed invitations, and CDs that will help them in learning the Lord's plan for saving mankind? Just here it bears emphasizing, and this has been proven again and again, the greatest success in reaching out to people comes from being a friend from getting to know people, showing an interest in their lives. Someone may say, well, I don't know many people around where I live. But that does not take away or excuse us from our responsibility of taking the gospel to all whom we can. Perhaps where we need to begin is by getting to know people, learning their names, learning their interests, showing an interest in their lives, extending friendship, encouragement, and love to people. Brother, do we have an invitation number? Did you Announce one. Number 856 will be the song that we'll be singing in about three minutes. Probably within 45 to 50 years, all of us who are gathered here this evening will have left the earthly scenes for eternity. And then we think about the young people, many of whom are at camp this week. And these young people more than likely will be alive in 45 to 50 years 
after we're gone. Especially if they live in this area and are members of this congregation. Will they have reason to be thankful for what we're doing today in the Lord's service? When they pray, will they thank the Lord for the sacrifices and the diligence with which we today are unselfishly serving the Lord to make the work of the Lord fervent and faithful? Or when they look back on us and what we did during our time, will they wonder, why didn't they do more? Will they wonder why we failed to show them the proper example by our attitudes and activity in the Lord's work? Or saddest of all, will they care? In light of these things I have said this evening, I always choose to believe that the best is yet to believe. I believe the future is always as bright as the promises of God. And with all my heart, I believe the divine guarantee of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It won't be very long until all of us who are here, I suppose, will pillow our heads tonight. And when you pillow your head, may the prayer that is on our minds be the same prayer as the sons of Korah in the long ago. Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. May God help us to be revived. And he will. He will if we will, with increased diligence and fervor and faithfulness, strive to do his will and his work. And may our prayer to the Lord be as the following old and much-loved gospel song exclaims, O land of rest, for thee I sigh. When will the moment come when I shall lay my armor by and dwell in peace at home? We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. And will be gathered home. Strong members of the one body. I hope these things that we have studied in the past several moments will encourage you. Will encourage you to be what the Lord would have you to be. As a member of this congregation, the best days can be ahead. And remember, God will bless 
what you are able to do. He really will. If you are here this evening and in our assembly and you need to respond to the gospel's invitation, as the people of God, we have this unique privilege of praying for one another. And that may be your need this evening, to ask your brothers and sisters for their prayers as you strive to be with greater diligence what the Lord would have you to be. Maybe there's a special need in your life that you need to ask your brethren to pray for you about. You may be here and not a Christian. We remind you that being what the Lord would have you to be begins by becoming his child, just like those people did in New Testament times. Nothing more, nothing else, nothing less. By being baptized, upon obeying the other commands, being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll then be a new creation in Christ. You'll be added by the Lord to his body. If there's a need in your life, won't you come as now we stand and as we sing?